Today's episode is sponsored by Root, Restoring Our Own Through Transformation. Root is a collective of concerned Black families, community members, advocates, and interdisciplinary professionals dedicated to decreasing Black maternal and infant mortality in Ohio. Root's mission is to comprehensively restore our collective well-being through collaboration, resource allocation, research, and re-empowerment in order to meet the needs of Black parents and families. If you and your family are planning, pregnant, or in your postpartum period, please reach out to Root at www.rootrj.org. Financial assistance is available. You can also connect with Root at 614-398-1766 or email them at general-info at rootrj.org. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Erica Butler, founder and sex educator for Happy Sex Talk, a small education consulting company focused on challenging the media and cultural messages pertaining to female sexuality, body image, and sexual pleasure, specifically the historically negative and hypersexualized images of Black female sexuality. Today, she'll not only be sharing her birth stories with us, but also discussing her work and its importance in reproductive health and justice. Hello, Erica. Welcome hello. to the show. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yes. So are we. Before we jump into all the things, can you start <laughs> by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I am a sex educator. As you said, I've been doing that since 2005. Um, I, uh, Dana and I just celebrated our 10 year wedding anniversary this past, uh, the weekend, last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very excited, um, about that. We have been together for 14 years, but married for 10. Um, and we, uh, David is an artist and a, uh, art professor at art Academy of Cincinnati. So recently he has been, uh, back to campus during the pandemic. <laughs> Mm. Uh, to teach a couple of days a week. And so, um, you know, lots of anxiety going on here at the moment, but we do have two littles. We have Emery, who is uh, three going on four in November, and he's a little spitball. We love, we love our little Scorpio. Um, and then <laughs> we have Dia, who just turned 15 months earlier this week. I don't understand how time works anymore. So I'm just, I feel like I just had both of them like recently, but you know, apparently time tells me otherwise okay um so yeah um we we live uh in columbus and um yeah i mean you know you. butler house butler <laughs> we out here <laughs> we out here we yes out here. all right so you've got two and yes. we can go about by sharing like one at a time or you can intermix whatever it is yeah i mean you know we'll just i feel like i'm probably just gonna answer per question for each of Perfect. them that's probably the best way my brain will right. work right now <laughs> well let's start off can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy with emery yeah so uh emery was my first ever pregnancy uh and it um <laughs> was much smoother than dia's i mean i say that <laughs> there were also things that happened with emery's pregnancy so uh, I was just nauseous all the time, but I never actually threw up. So like being nauseated was just my normal. Um, I was working full time, uh, started a job uh, at Planned Parenthood when I was four months pregnant with him. Um, and then towards the end of the pregnancy, I had a lot of water retention in my stomach. So my, you know, I've always wanted like that cute little belly bump, that little baby bump that's like so perfectly round and like beautiful. And mine was like sagging down in between my thighs because I had so much water. And so he was able to, you know, like basically do somersaults and anything he wanted uh, <laughs> for the, for at least for about half of the pregnancy. I had the worst heartburn ever um, with him, which made sense because he came out with a full head of hair and still to this day has all the hair. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was in labor before I went to the hospital. <clears throat> I was, I was walking for like half a day, <laughs> just like, cause I felt contractions. I was like, can we just keep walking around the block? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's supposed to happen because this is all new to me, but I feel something. And so I just feel like if I just keep moving, maybe, 
Um, I didn't, uh, you know, I had to go, you know, get like massages. I, I had to set appointments, like weekly appointments for massages to just kind of put sciatica at bay. Um, you know, just the general like pains and aches of pregnancy wasn't anything like too ridiculous. I didn't uh, get a gestational diabetes diagnosis, didn't even have to do the four hour testing, nothing like that. Um, gained a pretty good amount of weight. You know, it seems like what is a usual quote unquote air quotes, all the air quotes, <laughs> um, pregnancy. But yeah, so and then with Dia, did you want me to start talking about Dia? Whatever you feel. We okay, can all right. So with Dia, <laughs> she is, you know, we, her name means, Dia Marie is her name. And her name means goddess of rebellion. And she has lived up to that title from day one. <laughs> so with Emery, I thought I found out I was pregnant like maybe four or five weeks in. We go to our nine week ultrasound and we were actually 12 weeks in. So we originally got, right, we originally got a December due date, and then our first ultrasound was like, psych, he's coming in November. We were like, oh, great. <laughs> so there goes a month off of our already, like, what seems really tight timeline. Now with Dia, I knew four weeks. Like, there was no question. I was like, oh, I'm pregnant. Like, I just, I don't know why both times I was pregnant, I just felt different. My body felt different. And I was like, uh, I think we need a, I think we need a test, sir. You know, Emery, I took like four. I was like, I don't believe it. I took four tests with Dia. I was like, I just need that one. I'm pretty sure. Go on and pass it on. <laughs> um, now with Dia, I had a really, really heart, bad heartburn at the beginning too. She did not come out with a full head of hair, but I had a really bad heartburn with her too. Um, I had less weight gain because I was on a nicely root uh, diet, you know, that Jessica put me on. <laughs> High protein, low carb, you know lifestyle. I actually lost weight in my first trimester. So I was out here feeling good aside from the fact that she had me throwing up all the time. I had really bad headaches. I was sick the entire pregnancy with Dia. That was the, that was the difference between her and Emery. I was just nauseous with Emery, threw up all the time with Dia. Um, and with Dia, I had placenta privia. Um, so uh, she, was, she was blocking, you know, part of my cervix for most of the pregnancy. As we got later into the pregnancy, we were hoping she would kind of kick, <laughs> kick the placenta out of the way. And of course, she kicked it the total opposite and plugged me up all the way. So, <laughs> you know, that ended up being a scheduled C-section. I'm sure we'll get into the birthing process later, but in terms of pregnancy, it just made things a little more stressful. Um, I, you know, and I was also um, unemployed by Planned Parenthood in January of 2018 and then got pregnant with Dia. Uh, a little bit later into that timeline. And so I was at home with a toddler who was only going to daycare maybe three days a week. Um, and towards the end of the pregnancy, we just took him out of daycare and he was home with me every day. So I was like super pregnant, very exhausted, felt like restricted in terms of movement. Um, and I also got this, you know, like whack ass gestational diabetes diagnosis. It was very stressful. Took the four hour test but got my doctor to be okay with, you know, my doula, Jessica, just putting me on a diet. Um, and we were able to regulate it that way. Um, and then towards the end of the pregnancy, when she moved the, the placenta over, they were like, okay, well, we've got to, you know, I thought we still had like a month and a half. <laughs> they were like, we're just going to bring you in in a couple weeks. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Not, I mean, not a month and a half. I shouldn't say that. Maybe I thought I had a month and they cut that timeline in half. And I was like, well, you're not taking her before 38 weeks. Like, I'm just, I don't, I don't care what you say. That's not happening. Uh, I was like, I will lay in a bed and not move at all. if That's what you need me to do. But like, I'm not, you know, so they were doing um, stress tests, blood work all the time, doing the, uh, the monitoring of her heart rate, all that type of stuff. I had to do that like multiple times a week. Um, and then 38 weeks came and C-section came and you know, here we are. <laughs> but it was a very rough pregnancy. I'm sure if David was able to get in on this, he would be telling you all the things that we obviously forget. <laughs> uh, I didn't have as much um, like sciatica issues with her, but I was just in pain all the time, you know. And I'm yeah. also still trying to carry my toddler, which was not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care that mommy you know. was pregnant. He was like, I want you to carry me. <laughs> so, you know, just, yeah. Yeah. Very eventful. Pregnancy with a toddler is much different than oh. when you can lay in your bed when you come home from work and like never leave it <laughs> if you don't want to. <laughs> Toddlers have needs. Yes, okay. they have all the needs. <laughs> yes. And rightfully so. Rightfully right. so. Right. Um, and I know we've talked a little bit about this offline, but just how 
no matter who you are, no matter how many children you've had, the differences in pregnancy. Oh, like, you, yeah. you can plan and prep and, and be prepared for that, but yeah. most of our children have their own mindsets yep. and they are their absolutely. own beings, and they our course of pregnancy and our bodies in completely yeah. different ways. Yeah, um, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it was it's night and day. And yeah. Dia never listened to me. She never <laughs> listened to me. She only listened to Jessica and David sometimes. <laughs> That might still be true to this day, but we, you know, that's still, the jury's still out on that. <laughs> but I do like that you mentioned about um, the gestational diabetes piece. Uh-huh. It's like many people are like, oh, I, I have to do um, insulin or like have yeah. to stick to the protocol and that there is, um, for some people, you can regulate it with a diet. Yes. Yeah. Um, that that can be really helpful. And I, I mean, it's, we're all about options on here, but there yeah. are other options outside right. of managing. So, yeah, I mean, with me, you know, they count those, they count the four numbers, your starting number, and then the three hours after you drink the sugary drink. <clears throat> and so my starting number was higher than they wanted it to be. And then the hour, the hour like right after I took the drink was higher. But I went from, God, I can't remember these numbers. I swear David would be better at explaining this. But my first number was, because he remembers all, he raised hell at Ohio State. Do you understand me? hell because of what they put me through for this test like hell people got different specific trainings because of how many calls my husband made so like please no. right this That's was a whole wanted. thing yes yes so they the number at the beginning was so it was really really high but then i got it down to like you know i don't know 74 for something like super super low so it was really because my starting number was high not because my body didn't know how to process sugar if that makes sense so that, I think that that's why my doctor was okay with agreeing with Jessica, you know, as a doula to be like, okay, well, I can just monitor it with food and it'll be fine. Um, you know, and then I get to the appointment after I got this diagnosis, I'm sitting here thinking, oh God, they're about to put me on some medicine. Like I'm going to have to deal with all of this for the rest of this pregnancy. And she was saying that if I didn't, <laughs> the woman that I met with was saying that if I didn't agree with what my doctor decided that they were going to drop me as a patient and which was completely inaccurate. (laughs) That's actually not what happened at all. And my doctor quickly corrected her when she came back from vacation. But in the moment, I didn't have anybody to tell me otherwise. So I'm out here like basically, you know, into my 20 weeks of pregnancy by the time this happened. And I'm thinking that I'm about to lose my (laughs) OB. And I'm like, what is happening? She's like, you're going to have to come in twice a week to get, you know, stressed. And I was like, how am I going to do that with a toddler? Like, it was a very stressful experience. And because of that, you know, I thought multiple times throughout my pregnancy because of stress just from everything, I thought that something was wrong with the baby because I couldn't feel her moving. And so we would end up in the emergency room. Like, I need to make sure her, her heartbeat is here. I need to make sure she's okay. And, you know, I found out that it's because when I'm so stressed, you release all that cortisol and then the baby just sleeps much longer than they normally do. And that's not something that I knew offhand, but the first time it happened, Jessica was like, listen, <laughs> this is what happened. And I just need you to... <laughs> I need you to calm down. I mean, come to the emergency room as many times as you feel that you need to so that you're comfortable. However, comma, please know, <laughs> you know, that this is what happens when you get stressed. Um, so knowing that was definitely good information for me. Um, it did happen a couple more times where I got super stressed and we ended up in the emergency room, uh, you know, just for my own comfort. And so, you know, it is what it is. She was always fine. <laughs> Her heart rate was always perfect, but it was just to ease my mind. And it all started with that diabetes diagnosis. I mean, it's really stressful how they kind of um, approach that. So different ways to deal with it for sure. I'm just lucky that I was able to get my doctor to be like, yes, diet is fine. <laughs> like, It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also like a, a, a understanding, like use this, use the tools and the systems and the things to, to your mm-hmm. ability and what mm-hmm. you need to happen. So yeah. yes, for you, comfort was, I'm going to go to the ER and make sure me and baby are good. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. And that's yeah. how we should be utilizing the system rather yeah. than, you know, you having some nurse or whoever walking in being like, well, if you don't follow these exact rules yeah. without talking to your care provider. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. We're just going to cut you. Yeah. 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 She for sure <laughs> just said that. And, then, and when I talked to, when I talked to my doctor, she was like, I'm unsure of why that those words even came out of her mouth. (laughs) That's not at all how we operate here. Uh, You know, so it was just, 
<laughs> it was a very, because I didn't talk to my doctor for like a week. So I had a whole week where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get dropped. And I don't know what I, nobody's going to pick up a 28 week pregnant woman right now. Like what is going on? It was just a very stressful time, <laughs> but we got through it. <laughs> Always. So Erica, how yeah. did you prepare for your pregnancy? And was there things that you had thought about along the way or just as they came up? Um, I'm definitely uh, a as they came up type of person. <laughs> I didn't, um, the timing for both of the pregnancies was not an intentional thing. I mean, they were welcomed, of course, but it wasn't necessarily like that was the plan. We, we had actually planned on uh, both times when we first got pregnant was when we had just started talking about maybe getting pregnant for the first time and then maybe trying to have for a second child. Um, and, uh, you know, for the second time, I was ready far sooner than David was. <laughs> and I was like, listen, I got, I got plans. So like, I need you to, I need you to catch up. Okay. <laughs> I got goals here. Okay. And so, <laughs> um, we ended up a little more on my timeline than his for Dia. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I mean, both times there was really no preparation because it was like, we're just, we're just going to see what happens, you know? Um, but as things came up, obviously we, you know, handled business and did what we needed to do to make sure everybody was safe, healthy, and happy. And, you know, yeah. And was that the same approach that you took with preparing for the births? Um, so I feel like I had this <laughs> with Emery. I didn't know I was going to end up in a C-section. So I was in labor for 36 hours and then ended up in an emergency C-section with him. Um, and I was unprepared for that in every sense of the word, because it was literally the only thing I said to my OB was like, I don't want to be cut open. <laughs> I was like, that's the only thing I want to do everything I possibly can to avoid being cut open. And also I didn't officially have a doula during my pregnancy with Emery. I just know Jessica personally. And so I was like popping in and out and asking her questions throughout the pregnancy and postpartum stuff. But, it, and I talked to her about the birth, but like, I didn't necessarily have a, oh shit, what if this happens kind of plan? You know, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna, I got this music playing. We got movies just in case shit takes forever. I, you know, we gonna dance through these labor, you know, through these contractions. We gonna, I, like, I had those sorts of plans for sure. Um, and then, you know, some and none and all of them happened. Like, who knows, really? You know, it was just, uh, um, labor was a totally different experience with Emery. With Dia, it was scheduled. It was a scheduled C-section. So I knew that I wasn't going to, you know, have to prepare myself for labor necessarily. Um, they, took, they took her at 38 weeks um, before I even had contractions because of the placenta privia. So I wasn't even having Braxton Hicks really, to be honest. Um, at that point. So my assumption is that Dia probably would have stayed in there as long as she probably could have. Cause I mean, 38 weeks ain't far away from a due date. <laughs> and she was like, I'm good. I think I'm just gonna, you know, and Emery was born in the, and when Trump got in office and he was in protest. So he came out late too. Um, I eventually I was just like, let's just get induced because I can't, I need him out. Like <laughs> I was almost at like 42 weeks. And I was like, Nope, get out, <laughs> get out. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with this. Uh, so I had a little bit of prepping and a little bit of planning with Emery for sure with, with a light understanding that it's possible that nothing would go my way. I didn't expect literally nothing to go the way I wanted it to go. Um, so that was kind of a roll with the punches experience. Dia, I mean, we had a time to go there, but then other emergencies kept coming in before us. So like we had a, you know, we had to be there at like seven thirty, eight in the morning, but she wasn't actually born until one thirty. So, cause they kept pushing us back. So aside from like just the anticipation of like, am I going to get cut open now or what's going on was kind of dealing with Dia. Um, so, and those are the only two times I've ever had surgery was my two C-sections. Like I've never had any other. So like, it was a very anxiety provoking thing for me. So it was more like managing that than having a birth plan, if that makes sense. So you mentioned that you did know Jessica previously. What made you want to have her support for the second pregnancy? Um, because everything about my first laboring and pregnancy experience probably would have been better if I had a support system outside of me, my husband, my family. 
um, that kind of knew what was going on. <laughs> I mean, I, like I said, I would call her when things didn't, like when I had questions about things, but I would have never known to have questioned some of the interactions with me and my doctor. You know, like I, I just didn't know to ask those questions. And so having Jessica the second time and having her support allowed me to feel confident to voice things for myself that I didn't have the confidence to do the first time. Um, and so, and then also speaking up for myself when it came to like, I'm not comfortable with you taking, they wanted to take her at 36 weeks. And I was like, I'm not comfortable with that. I, like, I, and that was because I had a whole conversation with Jessica about why I wasn't comfortable with it. And because of that conversation, I was able to advocate for myself in a way that I would have never been able to before. I would have just listened to what they were saying and, and assumed they knew best. And a lot of the times they do not. <laughs> you know, um, I probably would have done whatever regimen they would have asked me to do with the gestational diabetes, if Jessica wouldn't have been like, we can manage this with diet, it's okay, you're fine. Like, you know, so I think um, I had more natural remedies with Dia for things than I did with Emery. Because um, I was just, you know, taking like heartburn medication, I was, you know, taking these nausea pills, the whole time, I feel like I would have been able to do things a little more naturally if I had had Jessica. So it was really just you know, the differences between the first and the second, like, I was like, I just need support. <laughs> tell us about the births. Oh, well, I mean, I kind of did tell a little bit about Emery. I was induced, so they, but they did, like, four miso pills on me. I got the balloon. We, I mean, literally every stage possible to try to help, like, open my cervix, and I still think even when they broke my water and did all that, I was still only four centimeters dilated after 36 hours of labor. Um, and the reason that we had to do a, an emergency C-section was because he had all that water in there. And at the last minute, he flipped and tried to come out ass first. So <laughs> first off, there were way too many people who had their hands in my vagina. My like, I mean, why, why are there so many people? Um, and then the woman who found out that Emery had flipped was like, uh, was feeling in the, you know, to see how dilated I was and to feel where the baby was. And she felt his butt and was like, oh my gosh, are you having twins? Are you sure you're not having twins? She thought she was feeling two heads and it was a butt. So I had a whole heart attack. Like, wait a minute, I had a secret twin in here the whole time and y'all, was the, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> it was so stressful. And so, you know, finally she's like, oh no, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's the butt. We're okay. We're okay. He's just flipped. So we're going to have to do a C-section. And the way that it was just said to me, when it was very clear that that's not what I wanted, it was just very like, this is what's happening, matter of fact. And I like lost it. I mean, it was like, it was like this wailing cry. Because <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Like, there's nothing we can do, you know, sort of thing. And then they, you know, finally got me in the, um, the surgery room for the um, C-section. And it took them 45 minutes to do my spinal. And the woman literally, I asked like, what is taking so long? Because they had told me previously it was only going to take like 10 minutes or so. And, um, you know, I was like, what is taking so long? And she said to me, well, your spine's never seen a textbook. So it's taking us a minute. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. So you've never seen a textbook because what is happening? You should not have been poking me this much. Like, it was horrible. All the while, David's sitting in the hallway. You know how they got, they know how they got the partners and the support people just sitting out in the hallway, all, all, like, you know, uniformed up, all covered. And he was also told it was only going to take 10 or 15 minutes. So, you know, David, he came down the hallway banging on doors, like, what the fuck is going on? Where, what is happening with my wife? Is the baby here? Did you not get me? Did I miss it? Like, what is going on? <laughs> You know, and they were like, sir, sir, we're still just trying to do, you know, like probably like holding him off at bay, right? Because David was about ready to bust through these doors, honey. He had no, no patience for any of it. Um, and so, you know, 45 minutes later, I get through the spinal and they, you know, start to do the procedure. Emery is here. He came out. And of course, you know, they're like, well, we can't feel the baby's heart rate anymore because you've been sitting up, leaned over for 45 minutes. So we need to hurry up. So then they like rush the C-section. He comes out, he's gray, not breathing. It takes like maybe, I don't know. I mean, the, the time, it was, it was long enough for me to be like, what the fuck is going on with my child? Why can't I hear him? You know, and so Emery, like David literally sees the life come into Emery. And he's like, <laughs> you know, like, 
like muscle, like I'm so pissed, <laughs> you know? And it, I mean, it was just insane. I mean, really David kind of had that experience with both of the kids, but with Emery, it was just like, whoa, like it just happened. It, it took so, it seemed like it took so long and then it all happened so fast. And then they had me in a recovery room after the delivery with Emery and the head of anesthesiology came and checked on me like three times. I was like, oh, so y'all gave me, y'all gave me more medicine than you should have. You nervous, you wanna make sure I can walk again. And I got this like beautifully large room that was obviously meant to be for two mothers. And, and it was just me, like pulling out all the stops. And I think like looking back on it now, it's like, oh, so y'all were trying to prevent a lawsuit. <laughs> you were preventing me from talking, right? Like, you know, because my experience with Dia was very different. <laughs> so with Dia, we had, I mean, the aftercare with Emory was beautiful. I mean, the, the nurses and the, I mean, God love them. They were amazing. Like they made sure that Emory was good. I was good all the time. They helped me stay on top of my meds. Cause you know, that C-section, because it was so fast, it took me really long to heal. Cause it wasn't the, it just took me really long to heal. <laughs> right. I mean, and so with Dia, um, we had the scheduled C-section. It did only take like 10 minutes for my spinal. Amen. <laughs> That was beautifully done. I also made it very explicitly clear how nervous I was about that part of the, of the procedure because of what happened the first time. So there were like two doctors in the room that took either of my hand and made sure that I was okay and was breathing with me before they did the spinal, talked me through what was going to happen because they knew that I was super, super nervous. Um, and I think, uh, again, because I had Jessica to, to advocate for me to let them know how stressful that was going to be for me. It allowed for the C-section with Dia to go much, much better. Um, and so C-section was pretty normal with Dia. She came out um, and she was not making any noise. She was just pissed. So like, you know, they're trying to get, trying to get her heart going, trying to give her oxygen, all these sorts of things. David had a whole playlist for her. And then because she's my daughter, she, she awoken and screamed to Beyonce's diva, please know the live version because she knows good music when she hears it. Um, <laughs> and that was the first song that she made sound to. And to this day, she is a part of the Beehive. She loves anything Beyonce does. Um, so, you know, the aftercare with Dia was the concern. Um, are we going into that now or do you want me to? Okay. Go, go. So, so with Dia, she was a nine pound, nine ounce baby. Um, she had all the chunks, she was beautiful and also had problems, um, you know, regulating her sugar. You were here for this at, at the hospital, so you may remember some of the things that I don't, so please chime in. Um, but she came out, she was beautiful, she latched perfectly. Uh, I'm very blessed to be able to breastfeed both of my kids. Dia latched perfectly in the beginning. Um, and then from, you know, I don't know, probably maybe 10, 12 hours later, she ended up in the NICU um, because we had tried a multitude of things to, um, you know, kind of naturally get her sugar up. And, um, you know, none of them worked. So she ended up being in the NICU and they gave her uh, donor milk and ended up giving her formula at the end because the donor milk was missing whatever it needed to help her sugar increase. So that whole process was stressful. I mean, they were talking, they were accounting to her as a sugar baby, which is basically like, just replace the word sugar with crack while you're at it. Because <laughs> the way they were talking about her was like, she just needs the sugar to get all of her da 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 da, -da whatever, you know? And they waited until Jessica was out of the room to basically scare me into getting her into the NICU because Jessica was there with me the whole time, um, advocating for like letting the baby lay on my chest, letting me nurse, doing, letting my colostrum come in, all these things to help her like naturally get her sugar up. And when Jessica left, you know, that was when they were like, boom, swoop, took David upstairs, took the baby upstairs to check her sugar. They had been doing it in the room the whole time, took him upstairs, checked her sugar, did all these things, and then tried to tell him, we're going to take her to the NICU from there. David was like, if you don't take my daughter down to see my wife, I will end up divorced before we leave this hospital. So you're going to take the baby down to the room. You're going to let my wife hold her. And then you're going to proceed to tell her what you just told me. And then we'll decide what happens. <laughs> like, you know, so I, so even, you know, at the worst moment with Dia, I had support, which was really amazing. I'm, you know, very thankful for that. 
Um, most of my time in aftercare, after the um, birth with Dia, she was in the NICU. I only got her back in the room with me um, for maybe 18 hours before we left the hospital. And I was there for five days. Um, so, you know, post C-section, maybe 13 hours afterwards, I'm like forcing myself to get up out of a bed and get in a wheelchair. I mean, you know this, get out of the bed and get in the wheelchair to go see my baby because you ain't keeping me from my child. So I, you know, I cared basically 0% about my own recovery. I just wanted to be with my child. So I did tell my nurses, like, I'm staying ahead of the pain. I'm going to be taking meds to keep me okay, but I won't be in this room very much. <laughs> You'll be finding me in the NICU, you know? <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was just a, it was just a crazy experience. And then once she hit the numbers that gave her like 40 milliliters of formula, like she was like four days old and this a, a substantial amount of formula just to get her out of the NICU. So she was throwing up in the nursery maybe for like 30 minutes because she just had so much stuff in her. She didn't know what to do. And she just kept throwing up, throwing up, throwing up. Um, so, you know, it was just, it was just a lot, <laughs> you know, they each, they were each stressful at different points. Um, but you know, by the grace of God, both the babies are healthy and, and we're here and, knock on all the wood. Nobody has any, you know, issues with anything right now. Um, you know, and it was, I'm glad they're here. I just wish that people would have, uh, treated Dia a little bit better. I didn't like the, the language that they used with her and how they talked to me too, you know, being this, this heavy, this, this, you know, fat black mom, like unapologetically, that's who I am. And I'm fine with that. Like, I know, <laughs> I know where I stand on the, on the, you know, weight scale of things. Um, and I know that big women being pregnant immediately cause concern for the medical profession, <laughs> you know, but it's like, we've been delivering babies for forever. And also 10 pound babies are born at home on a regular basis. So y'all can stop talking about my child. <laughs> Like she's this anomaly because she's nine pounds and nine ounces. Like, it's just, you know, so yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's, it's as care providers, it's a reminder of how important language is. And yes. How you, how yeah. you talk to the yes. people that you are caring for, how you talk about them while you're in a room, how you talk about their children. Yeah. All of that yeah. affects someone's experience. It's yeah. so important to be mindful yeah. of the language that you are using. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because it's trash. Yeah. <laughs> when you don't. Yes. yes. And, and, oh, in terms of the room, remember I told you I got this big luxurious room for Emery? I'm in this like super small room where people have like just this amount of, of room to move in between a wall and a bed. You know, like... <laughs> It was not set up for somebody to really be able to stay overnight. David's like crammed in a corner over here. Like, I was like, oh, so this is the room y'all give people when you're not worried about a lawsuit. It was literally, literally Laurel, three doors down from the room I was in with Emery. And I was like, you just rubbing it in my face. Cause I see my old room and I know what that life was like. <laughs> y'all got me in this room now. Cause I got Medicaid. You ain't about to come for me. <laughs> I know the difference, you know, <sighs> just, it was just, yeah little things but language is super important so important yeah um, and it's, yeah. when we're thinking about the vulnerability of birth um and just in this moment of like okay i just had i'm i'm kind of um reliving the experience that i had before with my previous child mm -hmm. and like having to process and work mm -hmm. through that and then you get into your recovery and you're trying to recover from yeah. a surgery a very yeah heavy surgery yeah um and then also process like oh i got my whole human my human <laughs> is here yep yeah i have a whole human <laughs> now i need to nourish them and then yeah. there's like this bombardment of here are all the things now figure it out without actually like let's talk about it let's talk about all the options let's do all the options there's just yeah. like scare tactics and it's always the worst like it's one of the most disheartening things when you yeah. have a support system in place to help you navigate that and they wait yeah until the support system has left mm -hmm. yeah to them. that's exactly what they did it's, and it's funny because in the moment i didn't register it like that you know it was like 
oh, this is just how the events transpired. But like looking back on it now, I mean, David and I literally just, I mean, I feel like David's probably known it this whole time. But for me, you know, when she turned one, I'm, you know, you reminisce about the whole experience and you look back, you think about the whole time that you, you know, spent at the hospital. And I was like, damn, that was strategic as fuck. Like y'all really (laughs) waited. And I mean, they didn't even give me 10 minutes after Jessica was gone. I mean, it was, it, it was crazy how strategic, I mean, even if that wasn't their intent, that's exactly how it looked. And I'm pretty sure it was their intent. <laughs> Let me be very clear. I'm giving no one breaks <laughs> on that, you know? So, and they had me pumping and stuff, sending like colostrum down and syringes to her. And that's how I met you. Cause you came in to teach me how to use the pump. Do you remember that? Yes. It was over here cracking jokes about this. <laughs> And I, you know, Jessica was hand expressing for me because I yes. still to this day, I don't know how to do that for real, for real. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I just like squeeze and it hurts and it's like, here comes milk. That's great. Like, it's not how it's supposed to happen, <laughs> you know, but it, yeah, I mean the whole experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just taking advantage of a time when you didn't have as much support there. To vote. I mean, David was exhausted too. So like neither of us could really advocate for ourselves in a way that we would have been able to otherwise, you know, so. When you talk about postpartum, it's very dia heavy. Yes. Talk about postpartum for Erica. Who? Well, thank you for that. Cause you know, I don't be, <laughs> come on, Danny. Come on, Danny. Uh, so <laughs> Postpartum for me um, with Emery was, um, I mean, to me, it seemed pretty normal. I don't think I experienced any um, super uh, heavy, like, depression or anything like that. I think um, it was more so just, like, new mom, like, first-time parent trying to figure things out. With Dia, it was heavy depression. I mean, it was anxiety heavy, I'm sorry, more so than depression. And I didn't even truly know that postpartum could show up in that way. I really like, you know, when you hear about it, they're only talking about depression. They're not talking about all the different ways that postpartum can show up and manifest. So my anxiety was like through the roof. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it, it was really that way until uh, I had Dia in June and it probably started coming down in like January or February. And then the pandemic happened and I'm like, oh, so we're just going to re-up on that. Okay, great. <laughs> um, you know, part of it was that's when, right after Dia, you know, was born in June, David started his job in Cincinnati in August. And so I was home with both kids um, at least three days out of the week when he was in Cincinnati, gone for like 12 hours since, you know, doing what he needs to do for the family. And I'm like, what is, you know, like it was just so much. And I mean, I'm very blessed and very thankful to have Um, you know, my friends and my family around here. I mean, we have a huge uh, network in Columbus. And so, um, and then of course, you know, we had visits coming from Rue every week, you know, with with Ma'at to make sure we were okay. And, you know, she basically spoon fed me all the information I needed to call anybody for help with anxiety. And I still never called them. I called Laurel. You remember that? I called you because Emery was throwing things at me. Emery was so mad at me for having a baby, but he loved Dia. He loved the baby the entire pregnancy, but once she was actually here, he was like, oh, so she taken attention away and I, I don't like this. So this is what I'm going to do. Any attention that I get, good, bad, or otherwise, I'm going to make sure I get it. Um, so not only was I dealing with the anxiety, but me and Em were beefing for like, you know, the first like three months. And that was really hard because we were really close. Um, and for a while there, we were not. Um, And that was a huge struggle for me too. So, you know, just trying to rebuild a relationship with one kid while making sure the other kid was nourished because at that point I was pumping. That's when I was oversupplying. So I was pumping like six times a day. Every time I pumped, it was like 20 ounces or more um, because all my body knew was the pump because when Dia came back from the NICU, she couldn't latch. Um, It took us until she was about two months, two and a half months for her to latch regularly. Um, And so you know, trying to figure all of that out while now being a mom of two while dealing with postpartum anxiety and still like trying to get my toddler to love me again, like was a lot. Um, you know, and I think I'm happy that she was a summer baby because I was able to go outside and at least get some vitamin D and get some sunshine and fresh air. And I think that helped me a lot. You know, Emery was a winter baby. So 
he was born in the middle of November. We didn't really leave the house until March, you know, because I was like, well, I'm not going to get my baby sick to go out in this weather. <laughs> People can come to me, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was it was definitely different. I mean, I kind of feel like that whole period of my time, I was just kind of like this zombie, like going through the motions of things. Um, Emery wasn't sleeping as well as Dia. So like we were all out here struggling. Um, but the postpartum anxiety was was rough. And I wish that I would have had, you know, the courage enough to to get the help I needed at the time that I needed it because it lasted longer than it should have. Um, because I was just being stubborn, <laughs> you know, with it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best, you know, had to rework that self-talk to myself and you know. All those things. Yes. And we always say on here, postpartum is forever. So where is yeah. Erica today? Uh, so that's a great question. I think postpartum is forever. That's a very great statement. Um, I mean, I think I'm doing much better. I think, you know, the, the anxiety um, around the pandemic and David being out in the world now a couple of days a week. And, you know, not being able to see my people <laughs> the way I really want to see my people. Like, virtual happy hours are great. However, <laughs> however, <laughs> um, you know, we've started, like, we have, like, our little pod crew, you know, who, like, we would like to see on a regular basis. We all know everybody been in the house. Everybody wears masks. We keep a safe distance. You know, we try to be as much outside as possible. We have those people that we, uh, you know, link up with. Um, most of whom are root babies as well, because we're a family. <laughs> That's how we roll. <laughs> um, you know, but it's 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 hard for sure. I think having both of the kids home all the time um, when we're trying to do like you know some form of preschool for Emery and you know Dia's just soaking everything up. I mean, she's she's developed so much in this quarantine space that you know she only knows us and my parents really. So like her socializing you know, when she gets around other people, she just kind of freaks out, you know, and we gotta, we're gonna have to re, you know, introduce her to people, because most of the months where she was aware of what was going on around, we were in heavy quarantine, um, so it's a very different experience with Emery, you know, he came to everything with us, he knew everybody by, by the time he was a year, I mean, everybody, crew was family, like, that's, that's just how it goes, he would leave the room, and I'd be like, village, like, and I wouldn't even care, <laughs> Where he, because I knew he was with family. Dia, we couldn't do that. She would lose her mind if she can't see one of us, you know? So it's just a very different experience. Um, and so me trying to manage all of that has been a lot. You know, I get touched out a lot because <laughs> the kids are like, hey, hi, hey. <laughs> and Dia, you know, basically is like four teeth away from having all of her teeth. So she's been nursing like crazy and, you know, but overall, I'm doing very well. <laughs> you hear how that, how that, the voice, right. <laughs> the voice went up at the end. You're going to sell the polygraph. You're going to sell the polygraph. Yeah. You yeah, already know. Polygraph. You already know. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> that last minute, I'm fine. It's great. Nobody believes you. You need more people. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. We yeah. making it. Everybody Good. is everybody is healthy. Everybody's happy. Everybody's home. So like, you know, that I'm okay with. Yeah. I'm just, you know. <laughs> just trying to get through it like everybody else. <laughs> day by day. Yeah. Day by day. Sometimes hour by hour or minute Many by minute. Of, you know? Listen. Listen. <laughs> And late night text with the and family, man, like I'm yo, me and Laurel have been, <laughs> we have been no. having some conversations, man. Ooh, the DMs. Okay. Yeah, the DMs we are. Danielle, I'm like, it's midnight, but I think she probably up. Uh huh. <laughs> she is up. And then yeah. on Instagram, you can see when people are active. See the people so like, are active. See they, uh, Erica because her thing is still green. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sure enough, honey. Sure enough. It may be me or Dia, but we up. It could be right. Dia on my phone for all I know. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. <laughs> well, 
let's talk about sex. Let's talk about you and me. <laughs> so you are a pleasure and sex educator. Can you tell us about that work? Yeah, man. So um, I have, like I said in the beginning, I've been doing this work since 2005. I got into it. Um, my my undergrad is a public health, um, you know, community education, public health degree. Um, and um, uh, I took an HIV and AIDS class when I was a sophomore at Miami University in Oxford, and it changed my life. Like I found out that, you know, we're we're only this super small percentage of the total population, and yet Black people are, you know, 75% or more uh, percentage, you know, of new cases of HIV a year. And it just blew my mind that, like, we didn't already know this. I was like, why are people not talking about this? And so that introduced me to the whole sexual health world. Um, and then I got, you know, internships and all these things into sexual health, and I realized that the way that public health kind of addresses sexual health issues is not the way that I vibe um, with the topics because it's very like, let's fix this problem. It's a problem that needs to be fixed, blah, blah, blah. I'm more of the pleasure centered, like sex is fun, sex is great type of educator. Hence the name Happy Sex Talk. Talking about sex makes me the happiest that I've ever been because it's all about making sure that people know their own bodies, feel comfortable communicating with their partners, what works, what doesn't, being unabashedly a sexual being, loving themselves, like all of those things. I'm very masturbation heavy. I'm very like pleasure positive. Um, and that's when I'm talking obviously to adults. <laughs> I'm not going into schools and having conversations with teenagers about these topics or middle schoolers or elementary, because trust me, I have taught from ages five all the way to 60 plus in, you know, the 15 years that I've been doing this, which seems very crazy to say. Um, you know, I think that for me, um, it's important for everybody to have the proper information to make um, educated decisions for themselves, whatever it is. I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. I'm not here to tell anybody what is right or wrong. I am not your moral compass. I am your source for education and facts and knowledge. I am here to troubleshoot things that you have issues with, but I am not your therapist. So like, you can't hold me accountable if shit don't go the way you want it to. <laughs> you know I mean? It's just, we just work through things together. It's trial and error, baby. You know what I mean? So I, so I have a couple different like arms of what I do. And there's the talking to adults, doing pleasure-based, you know, sex trivia nights in bars in the city, like that sort of element of what I do. And then there's also the very, um, you know, funded grant education, go into the schools and do comprehensive sex education, um, part of what I do too. Which is, I mean, I love doing it all, but I, you know, I love my babies. I love talking to these kids. Um, you came and spoke to the kids, so you, you, you know, you know a little bit about this element world, but we talk about everything from reproductive justice to healthy communication to relationships. Um, you know, we talk about it all. And I think that, you know, we also talk about sexual health and STIs and contraception, because again, y'all are going to do what you want to do anyway. I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong, but you will have the proper information to make the best decision for yourself when the time is in your lap, you know? You can't say you won't know it because we've talked about it. <laughs> um, and then there's also like, you know, I talk to parents about how to talk to their kids about these topics. Um, got a lot of <laughs> calls over the years of like, can you come talk to? No, no, no. I'm not coming to talk to your kid. I don't know your kid. You know your kid. I'm going to talk to you about how to have these conversations with your kid. Because let's be clear, there are many conversations throughout their entire life. It's not just the talk. That's not an actual thing. The talk is forever, <laughs> you know? So just trying to work those three avenues, um, you know, of education. I mean, I definitely talk about abstinence, of course, because for some people that is a reality, uh, but for a lot, it's not. And so preaching abstinence is not, uh, in my opinion, the best way to go because you're not giving everybody the information that they need. If it's abstinence or nothing, then what's gonna happen in the nothingness? <laughs> Right? Like, so that's where the concern for me comes in. That's what comprehensive sex ed means. Um, and that's what, you know, I do with my company. I don't care if you are, you know, 
we start very young. Like I've been starting with my kids from the minute they came home. When, I, when I'm changing your diaper, I'm giving you a bath. I'm naming your body parts. You're going to know what they're called. You know your, your nose, your eyes, your ears, your finger. You know all this, your hands, your feet. Why don't you know your penis? Why don't you know your vulva? Why don't you know? Like you've got to know these words. Um, the first time Emery said penis, y'all, I swear to God, one little thug tear came right, <laughs> one little thug tear right on the right cheek. I know what I, I know what happened. One right here. <laughs> he said, mommy, penis. I was like, yeah, baby, you right. That's your penis. Never been more proud. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's just, you, you can start super young and it's that simple, right? Like calling body parts what they are is the, is the easiest way to get started. Um, so just having those conversations with my family, with my kids, with friends, with, you know, people in the community. I love community education. So we try to do as much of that as possible, as long as it's funded. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and let the church say. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I should also say, I don't use happy sex talk when I go into schools. I'm just Erica then. The schools don't know, <laughs> don't know my business name. <laughs> Cause that wouldn't go over well, right? <laughs> That's for the sex trivia nights and the pleasure stuff that I post on the internet. <laughs> there we go, there we go. And I mean, Root has been a, a big part of working with you as well with supporting yes. some yeah. of our um, community, the, the yeah. young people in the community, so. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I have been working with Root since probably two weeks after I left Planned Parenthood. Jessica hit me up like, okay, so let's meet at Upper Cup because I got some things. <laughs> and y'all have been consistently employing me since then. Amen. Thank you very much. Shout out to Jessica Roach all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, man. It's yeah, been great. Yeah, man. It's all, it's all love. It's all community. And it's, you know, there's money out there. It's just getting people to understand what needs to what needs to happen with that money. <laughs> well, and I mean that speaks to these conversations about body positivity, mm -hmm. about our own bodies, about yeah. what makes us happy, about what we want from other people, about how to communicate about our bodies. Yeah. If they started young would make yeah. it so much easier when you walk into a space of birthing to yeah. be like Yeah. Absolutely. This is my body. Yeah. I mean, this I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. I, as many people that I know, I've met so many women who have been, you know, partnered up for years, have had multiple children and still haven't had an orgasm or went through a whole pregnancy and had no idea what was happening to their body because nobody talks about it. Like literally, if you don't ask the right questions, you don't know anything about what's happening to your body while you're pregnant or otherwise, you know, it's like, Yo, and then I was, yeah. And then God forbid you go get tested regularly or you have a healthy sex life cause you out here servicing the community and people are just out here judging you. Like, no, let them live their life. They can do what they want. Like STIs are not a dirty thing. It happens to all of us. Let's be clear. Most of the stats are one in four. So like, let's just, let's just pump the brakes here. And if we can actually talk about things in a reality, I mean, I know people aren't into facts these days, but they're there. <laughs> so if people would just pay attention, you know, and then the whole, the whole like looking at children and what they do through an adult lens is a whole nother level. Like your kids touching themselves are them exploring their bodies. If you shame them when they're little, then they're not gonna have any desire or interest to know anything about their body later in life. And do you wanna set them up with having horrible sexual experiences forever? Let them explore their bodies, it's fine. They have a room, tell them to go there. Teach them about privacy. They don't need to be doing it in the middle of a living room or in the middle of the, of the grocery store. Sure, nobody's advocating for that, but they got a room at home. You know, talk to them about things like, Babies dancing and doing TikTok dancing are just that. Babies doing TikTok dances. They're not babies out here being sexual. They don't know what that means. You know, so like taking that adult lens off and just understanding to just look at kids for what they are. They're kids. They're figuring out their bodies. They're figuring out what any of this means, right? They're trying to figure out who has what parts. Why do you look different than me? 
That's why everybody get caught playing doctor in the uh in the closets in the elementary schools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Y'all know what I'm talking re- about. Okay. I, got caught, okay. I got caught a gray little handful of times. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my dad, really... if you're listening to that, you may not have known about that, but I did. I got caught a couple times. <laughs> I'm realizing in my adult life, there are a lot of things that happen uh, in schooling that I didn't tell my family. <laughs> but, and I think <laughs> that also like comes from us not being able to talk about, like, and I yeah. love that you said putting the adult lens on it. It yeah. is very easy for us as adults to find things that children do as this like, oh my gosh, yeah. how do I react? How do I yeah. handle this? Yeah. And I think if we came from a place of one of us talking about it, yeah, and then yeah. also understanding what is the purpose of my child's action? My yeah. two-year-old is in the tub. Yeah. Figuring out like this figuring is out. Yeah. That's the yeah. purpose of this activity. Yeah. I don't yeah. need to put my own perceptions of what touching your body means on right. him right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, those conversations and, and what that is all changes and shifts as our children get older and what's happening yes. in their lives. But if it came from a place of what's the purpose behind this and also a open space to talk about it, yeah. you would have less of issues yes. going about it. Yes. And also the parents who are listening, please start talking about consent to your children as soon as they understand words, which is, you know, as soon as they come home from the hospital. <laughs> okay. My, like, I just, I just feel like, I mean, Emery knows don't run up on me and, and jump on me or hug me or pull on me if I am not indicating that that is what I want. And we try to teach him the same thing about Dia. You know, he want to wrestle Dia roll around on the, cause now she can walk. She like basically running, you know, laps in the playroom. She been walking for a while now. <clears throat> so that he want to play with her all the time. I try to get him to understand, like, I don't care if she's laughing. I don't care if she likes you tickling her. You make sure that you find out a way to know that that's what she wants. She lets you know, you know, you know, I just, so just trying to teach consent at a very early age, even within the home, privacy, consent, all of that is necessary. Um, you know, the kids don't have to go to the bathroom with you every time you go. It's not a thing. You can set boundaries. That's okay. Um, and it's boundaries that they should know about, you know? I mean, it's the fact that we don't talk about consent and privacy and respect that early is why rape culture is even a thing, to be honest. It's the beginning of all of that. Um, so I think, um, you know, those conversations can start as early as one and two. And, you know, Emery used to know if my hands aren't out to hug you, don't come and hug me. Just ask for a hug. And when I ask, you know, when I want to hug or a kiss from him or I want to hold him, I ask him. And if he wants to take a picture, he asks. If I want to take a picture of him, I ask. Like, it's all consent-based parenting. Um, And I think that, you know, that's just the way to go. You got to let them know that they have a voice early on so they know how to stand up for themselves. You know, voice their needs and their wants. So, yeah. yeah. That is, you said it plain. I mean, <laughs> all the snaps. Really, <laughs> and a lot of that comes from our own like reparenting, right? Yes. Like this, this whole idea of when we become parents too, like, yeah, yeah. someone did make me hug every auntie that yes. came in the door, and yes. I don't even like them all like yep. that. But right. it's not even right. anything personally like, or I just don't like to be touched, right? Yeah. Or I like to decide how I'm going to touch somebody. Right. Maybe I just want a fist bump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Emery, Emery eye contact five. might be in that. <laughs> yeah. Emery, no high fives, fist bumps, black hand side. You can do all, and matter of fact, down low, too slow. He know all that too. You got four options that don't involve actually touching my child's body. <laughs> right? Like, right. yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And a lot of it is from our own experiences and just kind of trying to make sure that we don't force our kids to do the things that we were forced to do <laughs> growing up. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And the strong history of us not having control over our bodies yeah. and how absolutely, absolutely infiltrated yeah. the way that we experience our own bodies and want yeah. others to experience our own bodies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I even think about like going back to like naming the parts, like, oh, those are your private parts or that's your, your cookie or all these other things. And it's like, I don't know what that is. If I'm right. out in public and I'm like, hey, I got a, my cookies. My, what? Something's going on with my cookie. Like what? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, not, not helpful. Not helpful. No. no. So that's 
think she answered all the questions. She got all the things. I yes. mean, if, if she's done this before, right. I mean, <laughs> like I was scrolling down too, like, well, Erica, how do you, how do people, um, okay, how yes. can they contact you then? Yeah, there yes, you go. yes. How can someone find out more information about or get in contact with you? Oh, yeah. So, uh, Instagram is, is a good way, you know, slide into the DMs, if you will. Happy Sex Talk is spelled H-A-P-P-E, Sex Talk, all one word. Okay, Do you have any time. other things that you want to share, any other resources you'd like to share? Um, so, yeah, so for, uh, yeah, for parents, um, we have Sex Positive Parenting. Um, she's another uh, sex, a fellow sex educator, Melissa. She's amazing. She has so many resources. I mean, just check out the website. Um, and then... Um, Amaze.org is also a really, really great website for parents. Um, they have, you know, different videos like worksheets, conversation starters, similar to the stuff Melissa does um, at Sex Positive Parenting. Um, and I, you know, those are those are definitely great resources. And then, you know, adults who are looking for information about birth control or like, you know, doctors they can find any information about anything sexual health or sexuality related. Um, Guttmacher is a really good resource as well as bedsider um i would say those are two you know things to kind of look out for my favorite black sexologist my favorite black sex therapist is lex james brown um her uh her name is lex sex doc lex with two x's we went to um graduate school together um she's amazing she's also a very sex positive parent um consent friendly parents so she talks about a lot of the same things that i do um yeah so those are all those are all people that i would recommend yes we'll yeah. be in the show notes too so y'all yes can tap check, in check them out check them out yes all yes. right perfect Thank listen y'all are the best <laughs> i love y'all so much thank you for including me in this and you're listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 